Our Bible reading this morning comes from 1 Peter, um, chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into the, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. Who through, faith, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may be re and may result in praise, glory, and honour when Jesus Christ is re revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that, had, that was come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels look, long to look into these things. Well, it's lovely to uh, be here with you and to be able to worship the Lord with you and to be encouraged together by his words to us, to be reminded together of his grace to us and uh, it's lovely to be here with you to do that. Uh, greetings from the branch, Christian Church in Launceston, brothers and sisters down there. It's uh, wonderful that we are family together in the Lord God. Uh, we're going to be thinking about those words from 1 Peter chapter 1 that we just read, but before we do that, let's pray and ask God uh, to give us understanding and to speak to our hearts. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a loving God and that you do hold us fast uh, because you love us. And uh, Lord, as we come now to reflect on your word, we pray that you would strengthen us, equip us, encourage us. Lord, we, we ask that as I speak, that you would speak by your Holy Spirit to our hearts so that we would hear you speaking to us individually, personally, that we might be encouraged, strengthened, built up in a holy faith. Uh, Lord, that we might know the precious uh, inheritance that we have through faith in Jesus Christ. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen. If you've lived uh, long enough, you've probably suffered in one way or another, uh, perhaps you suffered going to the dentist, uh, as we've already heard, but perhaps you suffered in other ways 
as well. Maybe you're suffering at the moment, maybe you're suffering from a debilitating illness, maybe you're suffering through ongoing pain, maybe you've lost a loved one, a spouse or a child, and maybe that wasn't even recent, but it has many years ago, was many years ago, and you're still struggling with that sadness. Maybe you've even suffered some kind of persecution, maybe in your workplace or in your family, you've been uh, ridiculed, made fun of, cast out because you've accepted Jesus, because you're making an effort to follow Christ. If you're young, you may not have suffered all that much, but the odds are that one day the day will come when you will face suffering of some kind or another. Now, that's the nature of the world that we live in. That's the nature of the world that we live in, broken by our rebellion against God. But the question is, how do we deal with that? And how do we prepare ourselves so that when that does actually come, those difficult times, how do we prepare ourselves so that when those times come, we can actually face that and, and deal with that well? 1 Peter is a letter that was written by the Apostle Peter to people who were suffering. They were suffering persecution, they were rejected by the people around them. The first verse of the letter describes the people as exiles scattered throughout the provinces. You might have seen in the news this week that family uh, in immigration detention who've been fighting for a home. Now, for three years they've been without a home, they're exiles from their homeland, uh, they're strangers in this country, the government won't accept them. And regardless of what you think the solution to that particular situation is, regardless of that, imagine what it must be like to be in their situation, to be exiles from the country from which they came and unaccepted in the country where they've sought refuge. It's hard to imagine to what it's like to be not just without a house, but without a home, without a place. The truth is, though, as Christians, we're in a very similar situation. We're in exile, the Bible says. We're strangers. We're not at home. And yet, I don't know about you, but I find myself continually wanting to be, to be at home here and then mystified by the reality that it doesn't work. Mystified, perplexed, saddened by the fact that this world isn't home. And the reason that it's like that, the Bible says, is because we're exiles. Exiles away from God and longing to be with him again. So how do we live in that situation? How do we live as exiles in this world? That's what 1 Peter is all about. And this first chapter that we're looking at today deals with one particular aspect of life in exile, and that is suffering. Suffering is one of the staples of life in exile, away from home, longing to be with God. Well, Peter begins his remedy to suffering with a very unexpected word, and that word is praise. He says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very strange response, isn't it, to suffering? Praise. I don't know how you normally respond when difficulties come in life, but I suspect that for many of us, we don't start with praise. Maybe you reach for the chocolate, 
or for the ice cream. You reach for the comfort food that makes you feel better. Maybe you reach for a friend, a trusted friend, someone that you can share the burden with. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with those things in their proper place. But at the heart of dealing with suffering, Peter says, is praise. Why is that? Why is praise at the heart of our response to suffering? Well, Peter gives five reasons, and I want to look at each of those with you this morning. The first reason comes in the second half of verse 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Peter says, first of all, we're to praise God for an inheritance. An inheritance is something that you don't have yet, but that you're waiting to receive. It's been promised to you and you're waiting to get it. The inheritance that God has promised us is resurrection life with him through Jesus. Uh, The inheritance is the promise of life forever in the presence of God in the world put right. A world free from sin, uh, free from pain, the turmoil of pain and suffering. A world without brokenness, a world without exile, without Distance from God. I don't know if you've uh, ever really been looking forward to receiving something. Uh, Maybe it was a present. Maybe when you were younger you saved up your birthday and your Christmas presents for a year to get something really special. Uh, maybe you're saving up for a bike or a computer or for a new car. Maybe you're saving up for, to buy your first home. And finally, one day you get that thing that you're longing for. Finally, the day comes when you get it. And then within a few days, it's bumped or scratched. Remember a couple of years ago, I, uh, I bought a mountain bike. I took up mountain biking with a friend of mine and I got this brand new bike. And we headed out from there to one of the classic uh, mountain bike trails in Tasmania, in Derby. And we were literally going down the very first run. And I went around the corner and the bike slid out on top of a rock and just scratched the frame. Big gash down the side of the frame. Life is like that, isn't it? From the moment we get something, it starts to break down, it starts to decay. And the thing is, it's not just the things around us that are like that. We're like that as well. The moment that we're born, we begin to fall apart. Our bodies wear out, our faces wrinkle, we get weaker. Things that we used to take for granted, we can't do anymore. Maybe even just simple things like opening a jar or walking to the shops or getting up out of bed. Maybe those things are just becoming increasingly difficult having a conversation with someone, hearing what they said. Everything around us and we ourselves perish, spoil and fade. But God says that we have an inheritance that won't be like that. For those of us who've trusted in Jesus, we have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. You and I will fade, the things around us will fade, but that inheritance from God will not fade. 
And so as we face suffering, as our bodies and our minds and the things around us fall apart, we need to remember that eternal inheritance. We need to remember that there's something better that's coming. But we need not only to remember it, that's great to remember it, yes, it's there. Peter says we need to take the step beyond that and say we need to praise God on account of it. We need to open our mouths, to actually open our mouths and praise God. You might do that in prayer. You might begin by expressing to God all the hurt and the sorrow that you feel because of what you're going through. But then you need to move beyond that and say, Lord, and yet I thank you, Lord, I praise you. That even in the midst of that, even as all this stuff is falling apart, Lord, I praise you that there's something, there's an inheritance that isn't falling apart. In fact, there's a world that is not simply not falling apart, but is coming to greater reality day by day. You might praise God through songs. Maybe there's an old hymn uh, that you know that you can use to praise God. Maybe there are some Christian songs on Spotify or YouTube that, just, that you love to, to hear and to sing and to reflect on and to, uh, and to remember, to sing along with. Don't just stop with thinking about the suffering, but move on to praising God for that great inheritance. So that's the first thing we should do when suffering comes. Praise God for that inheritance that we have that won't perish, spoil or fade. But Peter gives us another reason to praise God. He says, praise God, verse 4, because this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says two things here that ought to encourage us. First, the inheritance is kept, and second, we're kept, we're guarded. Nobody wants an inheritance that will disappear. Uh, think of the son or daughter who is waiting, standing in line to be the one to in inherit the family business. It's a multi-million dollar business, and it's been in the family for hundreds of years. Uh, it's, a, it's a staple of, uh, of life in society. And the day comes when the inheritance is theirs. Their father or mother or whoever it was finally passes away and it passes to them. And they turn up for their first day at work and they open the company books only to discover that the company is insolvent. There's no millions of dollars, just a litany of debt. Nobody wants an inheritance that disappears, an inheritance that's constantly at risk. Will it be there or won't it be? But Peter says that won't happen with our inheritance that God has promised us. God is keeping the inheritance for us. And when God keeps something, it stays kept. He's safer than the safest bank, safer than the most... Uh, safe investment. God is keeping that inheritance for us. Peter says the inheritance is kept, but also we are kept. We are shielded by God's power. One of the reasons we can be so confident that God will keep us is, Peter says, because God has chosen us. God's keeping us is grounded in his 
choice of us rather than our choice for him. At the beginning of this letter, he addresses these Christians as elect exiles. That is, they've been chosen by God. So too, he calls them foreknown by God. And knowing in the Bible is a relational idea. God knows us. He relates to us. Before we even came to him, he had entered into a relationship with us in eternity past. He foreknew his people. Peter's not saying that God chose us because we chose him or because he knew that we might. He's saying that before we even made a step towards God, God had known us. He'd entered into a relationship with us and purposed us for his glory. It's hard for us to understand how that works. But the Bible tells us that for those of us who have become Christians, who've been born again into that living hope, the Bible tells us that for those of us who are in that situation, it was God who made that first move. However that works, even though we came to God freely, willingly, in faith and love, nevertheless, in eternity past, God set his love on us in his grace, it was undeserved and of his own free will and purpose. And far from being a kind of irrelevant idea of theology, that idea of God's sovereign love, his electing love, that love grounds here our absolute confidence in the place, in the face of suffering. If we've come to Christ, if we've been filled with his spirit, then it's because God has foreknown us chosen us in him and having done so God will keep us so if one fear that we have in the face of suffering is that the inheritance might disappear the other fear that we might have so often is that we might not survive somehow to receive it often in the face of suffering our biggest fear is that we're not strong enough we won't be strong enough to 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 live through the, what we're suffering. Maybe you think to yourself, I'm not sure if I can make it through today. But Peter says, you're kept and guarded. Or maybe you don't worry about what might happen today or what you're suffering at the moment, but maybe you're worried about what might happen tomorrow. Maybe you're worried about, you ask yourself the question, would I cope if I was to lose one of my children? Would I cope if I lost my husband or my wife? Or if I lost my job, would I cope with that? But Peter says, we can praise God because... It's not our strength that keeps us, that guards us, but it's God's strength. And God's, even God's weakness is greater than, our, greater than any other thing in the whole world. God will keep us. God will sustain us. So praise God because there's in, this, this inheritance that won't fade. Praise God that the inheritance is kept, that you're kept. Next, praise God that he's refining you like gold. Verse 6, in all this you greatly rejoice... Though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, 
may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter says that the suffering we experience is not unnecessary, it's not wasted, it's not purposeless. It's actually a key part of God's plan. God's plan for the world, but also God's plan for us. And its purpose is to refine us and our faith, which is more precious than gold. A friend of mine, a couple of years ago, got as a present for his dad, from his dad, a BMW R80 motorbike that he's restoring. And it, uh, it was just kind of the, the main parts and he had to, he'd had to, over time, buy all the other bits that he needs to restore it. And so, about a year ago, he bought a new exhaust for the bike. But the exhaust that he, that he bought was a second-hand exhaust. It was corroded, it was filthy. Uh, and, of course, he wants his bike to look nice. And so, he had to clean it up. And to do that, he had, he had to sandblast it. I don't know if you know anything about sandblasting, but it's not a particularly kind of gentle process. It's pretty hardcore. Uh, It's a pretty brutal process. But at the end of that, what he was left with was a really nice-looking exhaust that looked almost actually brand new. And in the same way... As people, we are like that. We're filthy, we're corroded by sin. And the process of stripping that away is pretty brutal. It doesn't happen easily. We'd like it to happen easily, but it doesn't. It's so deeply ingrained in us. That process is painful and hard. It's something that's so hard it costs Jesus his life. That's how difficult it is for sin to be stripped away. But the end result of that process is worth it. No suffering is fun, that's why we call it suffering. But like sandblasting or like melting gold so that we can take the impurities out of it, the end result of that process that God uses suffering for, the end result of that is that we're refined, purified and made more like the Lord Jesus Christ. The end result is worth it. A friend recently said to me that we often think that the best years of our life are behind us. We always look back in the rearview mirror and we think, actually, you know what? The best years have gone. But he said, you know, in the Bible, that's not true. In the Bible, the best years of our life are always ahead of us. Because more and more, God is bringing us closer to that eternal inheritance. He's working that out in our lives through suffering through pain, but bringing us closer to glory. Life is full of struggles. There are sad times, there are anxious times, worrying times, times of strain, times of strain in your marriage, in work, at church, disappointments, the challenge of sin, whether that's your own sin or the sin of those around you. But in all those times, we need to remember to praise God, not just to bear up under the struggles, Not just to grit your teeth and think, I've got to get through this. But actually in those times to stop and to praise God that even though this is painful, he's doing something good. That he's bringing to reality more and more the life of Jesus within us. How do we deal with suffering? We praise God for the inheritance that won't fade. We praise God that 
the inheritance is kept, that we're kept. We praise God that he's refining us like gold. The next remedy to suffering is to praise God because you love him and one day you'll meet him. Praise God because you love him and one day you'll meet him. Peter says this suffering is changing us, it's transforming us, it's bringing about this wonderful result. But what is the wonderful result that it's bringing about? What's the treasure? Well, he says in verse 8, the Holy Spirit says to us, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Through suffering, God is refining our faith so that it will explode in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed, when he comes to gather his people. But the incredible thing is that even now, that love and that joy is reaching into our lives and changing us. That eternal inheritance is reaching back into the present. It's what Peter calls in verse 3, new birth into a living hope. Something of that future inheritance has already come about now. It's working its way out in us now. It's taken hold of us through the Holy Spirit and is changing us. And that's manifest, Peter says now, in that although we haven't seen Jesus, we love him. And though it's painful, the good news is that our suffering makes us love Jesus even more. It loosens our grip, the grip that this world has on our hearts, and it teaches us to cling to Jesus more and more. So easily, I think we love the wrong things. Uh, we love the things that God doesn't want us to love. We love things that are sinful. Or we love things that are right, but we love them too much. Things that are good things, we make ultimate things, as Tim Keller says. We make them things that we can't live without. And all the while, because of that, we struggle to love Jesus. We struggle to love God because there's no room left in our hearts for God. It's crowded out by all the other wrong loves. But God is so kind and so gracious that he doesn't let us stay like that. God is so kind and so gracious that he works in us so that we can actually let go of those things. The irony is that we often think that losing those things that we love or letting go of those loves will actually destroy our lives. The truth is that actually it's holding on to those things that destroys us. And so God in his kindness comes and says, I won't let you keep loving those things. But I will bring to reality more and more this deep love for my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the trouble is that's really hard to do. It's hard for us to let go of the things that we love and God has to pry them out of our hands to make room for us to love him. And so God uses suffering. He uses suffering to kill off those wrong loves 
to bring our love for him to greater reality. It's hard for us to bear this suffering, but the result is worth it because the more our love for Jesus grows, the more grows that inexpressible and glorious joy. It's a joy that we can't communicate, but it's wonderful, that love for Christ. Praise God when you suffer, that you have an inheritance that won't fade, that inheritance is kept, you're kept. Praise God that he's refining you like gold. Praise God because you love him and that love is growing. Finally, praise God that you've heard the gospel. Peter says in verses, one, uh, in verses 10 to 12 that in the past God spoke through prophets but, uh, and those prophets spoke, uh, searched intently and with great care trying to discern what they were speaking about. They were looking ahead. They were speaking about it, promising what God was about to do. But the fullness of the work of God in Jesus was hidden from them. They didn't understand it. It was like a mystery. It's like reading through a mystery novel when you wonder who did it. And finally you get to the end and you discover who it was. And all of a sudden you, look, you think back through the book and you suddenly begin to realise that the hints were there all the way along. It was like that for the prophets. They didn't understand. But for us, the fullness of what God has done in Jesus, the mystery is now made clear, now revealed. They searched intently. Peter says even the angels long to look into these things. But that mystery, that truth has been made known to you and me. Why to us. Why should we have heard that gospel message and not others? Why should we be so privileged to live in the light of the fullness of God's revelation in Jesus? Why us? This is a question we simply can't answer. We do know that we don't deserve it more than anyone else. But God in his grace, for some reason, in his mercy, has made it known to us. And so Peter says, we ought to praise God. Why me? Why you? We could have been born in a place and in a time where the gospel wasn't known. But we weren't. We were born in a place, maybe into a family, or into a society, to a country, where the gospel is known. And we have no one to thank for that except God. And so as we suffer, and as we think about all the things that we're missing out on, we need to remember the incredible, unimaginable privilege that we've heard the best news that anyone can hear. The knowledge that the Son of God has come from heaven, suffered more than we could ever suffer and risen to life again so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The prophets didn't understand it. They spent their life searching out the truth and never knew. The angels longed to look into it. But God has made it known to us. 
So next time you suffer or if you're suffering at the moment, remember that. And don't just remember it, but praise God. Praise God that he's made himself known to you. Determined to give thanks. Even if you don't feel it, do it. Praise him for a new birth into an eternal inheritance that cannot spoil or fade. Praise him that you're kept and that the inheritance is kept. Praise him that he's refining you like gold. Praise him because you love him and one day you'll meet him. And praise him that he's made all of that known to you through the Spirit and his word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you. Lord, whatever situation we're in, you know. And uh, Lord, for some today will be harder than for others. Lord, for some of us, perhaps, life has been good. Life is good. And we don't really know what it is to suffer. Even the things that we have suffered have been very minor. But Lord, for other, others of us, there will be deep pain. Lord, perhaps deep pain caused by our own mistakes and errors, sins, weaknesses. Lord, deep pain and trauma caused by the sins of others, the decisions that others have made, the choices that others have made. Lord, maybe there's deep pain that no one in particular is responsible for. Just the sadness of life. Loss, death, separation. Lord, you know the pain that people here feel. But Lord, we praise you in spite of that. Lord, we praise you because you've purchased for us through Jesus and brought inaugurated, begun in him an inheritance that isn't like anything we've ever tasted or touched in this world, an inheritance that won't decay. And Lord, as our bodies and the things around us fall apart, we thank you that that won't fall apart. We thank you that you've kept it for us, that you will keep it, that it's safe, that we're safe, that you'll get us to the end. And that even if today or tomorrow something should come that we think will be too much for us, Lord, it will never be too much for you. And so we praise you for that. We praise you that in all these things you're changing us. Lord, it's hard. But help us to see that the end result is good. That you're growing in us this love for Christ. That you're growing in us this trust in him. Lord, we thank you for all these things. We praise you for them. For Jesus' sake. Amen.